Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Ben Albright, CEO, Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of Louisiana Agent Service Corporation. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Noel. Glad to be here. Ben, we've uh, got a, a what I think is an, an insurance crisis Uh, that's been brewing here for some time. Recently, there's been a number of articles. Sam Carlin with The Advocate um, authored one talking about how Louisiana has welcomed uh, small insurers. And um, because of the way that they've structured themselves, it seems as though we're not really getting the biggest bang for our buck. Your thoughts? Yeah, Noel. Um, so I'll start by saying I represent insurance agencies, not companies, but we are obviously right. intimately familiar with how a lot of these things work. And what I would say is that some of the small companies have failed, and that has caused a lot of problems for policyholders and, frankly, for our agents. Um, but I'm not sure that I agree with the premise of the article that the structure, the MGA structure, is what caused that. Um, it is true that some of the ones that went down were MGAs, but there are a lot of other ones that are the MGA structure that did not go down. And frankly, there are outside causes that is really what's behind it. So if you would, for the benefit of the listening audience, uh, describe what an MGA structure is. Sure. So it stands for managing general agent. And what that means is that a insurance company somewhere has hired someone else to administer the policies, often including um, underwriting and claims capabilities. You've seen this for a long, long time in the London markets because they're deployed all around the world and they don't want to necessarily have a office of Lloyd's of London in every single place that they're writing business. So they do business through these third parties. Um, The difference here is that in some of these cases, these were small companies that came in that did not have enough um, back reinsurance to cover a significant catastrophe event, and they didn't have enough capital surplus to pay claims after the event. And so it's not necessarily the fault of the managing general agent arrangement as it is the um, reinsurance and capital requirements that the uh, companies had. But a lot of these arrangements, though, uh, this affiliate model, it's it's not a long, it's not an arm's length transaction, right? It's one and the same principles. The owner of the insurance company also 
owns the managing general agent structure, correct? Uh, that's the case in some cases, but not nearly all of them. Um, many of them are completely separate entities. I used the example of Lloyd's of London. They are right. a long stand. They're possibly the oldest insurer in the world, and virtually all of their business is transacted through this structure. And it's not them that owns it; it's someone else. But you're absolutely right that there are some cases where the um, owner of a company will also form a MGA or um, something similar. I should say, though, that the Department of Insurance does regulate those contracts. The, the Department of Insurance looks at the contract between an admitted insurer and a managing general agent that they are contracting with to do the work. So they get to see the fees that are being paid and all of those things to make sure that it's all above board and that the company still meets the required capital surplus requirements. But what happened, in, you know, what was pointed out in this article, uh, 11 of the 12 companies had this structure that that sent a lot of money off the books of the insurance company to this MGA, this managing general agent, this, this uh, affiliate. Um, and a lot of the profits were taken there because uh, because of the regulatory oversight of the Department of Insurance over the insurance company itself, where they don't have the breadth and depth of that authority over the MGA. Is that correct? Um, so what I would say is that it is true that there is the ability for them to more easily take profits out of a company. That is one reason that you might organize this way. But I have not seen evidence that there was any improper handling of funds or anything like that. And I don't think that Sam Carlin in his article um, shows that there has been any evidence of that. There is an investigation, I'm un I understand, from the article into at least one of those companies. Um, but what I would say is that the, comp the insurance company, who is ultimately responsible for paying the claims, still has to meet the required capital surplus and reinsurance requirements at the Department of Insurance in whatever state they're domiciled, regardless of um, whether they have an MGA contract or not. And that's the fundamental thing that tells you whether they're going to be able to pay their claims during a storm event or not. But in this case, um, obviously, when we made the look-see, we end up finding something different because these companies went belly up. And, I mean, right. there's a whole and host I of reasons. There's a whole host of reasons for it. But when we're moving policies from citizens to these companies that are coming in that we're attempting to lure uh, to come here, once we do the... And, and we do the audit of the company, how often do they go back and, and, and audit that company again during that year? Because there's a lot of activity. And they gave, uh, in Sam's article, he gave one example of them buying a, a deer hunting camp and using sure. that, you know, for the, for the purposes of, of client development and so forth. Um, that, that's not something that, that the consumer expects to see, right, uh, that we're we're buying assets like that, especially when we're when we find out we don't have coverage. Yeah, absolutely. I would never say that there has been no improper conduct by insurance companies. Frankly, some of my agents are probably the maddest people in the state at insurance companies, because in addition to having their own policies, they had to deal with it on their professional side. 
but I would say that again, the the issue is not with the the structure. It's about making sure that they are they have the money that they need in order to pay claims, and that can be in the and in capital surplus, or it can be having a reinsurance contract where they pass the burden of paying claims off to the reinsurer essentially. And so what I would say is that what actually brought these companies down is the the claims relative to how much cash and reinsurance they had. They had lots of attritional losses from lawsuits in Louisiana and Florida, and then they had these huge storms, hurricanes, Laura, Delta, Zeta, Ida, and that's what sunk them is they didn't have the reinsurance to survive a storm like Ida coming through. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was a MGA arrangement. Well, we don't really know. Let me ask the question. Let me ask the question this way. So you you as an agent, you represent an insurance company. What is your confidence level that you have a complete picture of the financial strength of that company that you represent? I a complete picture absolutely not. So um what I have is uh I have to have some faith in the regulator. Uh, wherever they, that company is domiciled, so if it's a Louisiana domiciled company, the Department of Insurance in Louisiana, if it's a Florida domiciled company, the OIR in Florida, um, they get to see everything in the books. And so they are supposed to be making sure that there is sufficient uh, capital surplus and sufficient reinsurance. The other thing that we get is the rating agencies. And I'm just trying to hone this down because this is what I don't understand. So insurance companies have the availability of going into reinsurance markets and coming out of it, right? And there's not necessarily obligations, affirmative obligations placed on the insurance company to inform the regulators when they change the amount of the book of business that they've laid off in the in the reinsurance market. If in a perfect world, what would you like to see change to raise your confidence level? So in a perfect world, I would love to have lots of AMBEST A-rated, very large, multinational companies writing business in Louisiana. But that's not the world we live in. Unfortunately, we are not viewed as a state that is very conducive to writing insurance profitably. And so most of those very large companies have left our state to do business elsewhere instead. And so what we're left with are these smaller companies that are more thinly capitalized, that more of the uh, load is being passed off to reinsurance. So you're relying on getting that reinsurance contract just exactly right, which is more of an art than a science. So I'd love to see more of the book of business be with these huge national carriers, which is how it is in most states. It's only really Florida and Louisiana that has such a huge concentration of our business in these smaller insurers, and that's a function of larger insurers do not want to do business in our state because of the legal environment and the claims environment because of the hurricanes. I hear this all the time, um, but... You know, when you look at it from the consumer standpoint, and I mean, I could go through anecdotal story after anecdotal story. I've never been a plaintiff's lawyer, but I am a lawyer. And, you know, and I've I've had issues, not many, thankfully, with insurance companies that want to play a game. And as soon as I tell them I'm a lawyer, it's amazing how things change, right? 
And then what I'm asking for is not as obnoxious as I was led to believe when we started the conversation out, um, you know, which I find to be um, very interesting. But it's true that the more business they lay off in the secondary market, in the reinsurance market, the less money that they can make because it's an expense item, right? Yeah, it's absolutely true that the more of their own capital they they are risking, the more profit they are able to make. And that's why it's important that the Department of Insurance has requirements around how much reinsurance they have on the books based on their policies in force and um, policy exposure. So the, the likelihood of satisfying their investors, uh, and when you say it, you, you want to reach that right balance, that's really a guessing game. And it's really a risk, it's a risk assessment as to how much risk that company wants to take on uh, in order to satisfy their investors, to give their investors the, the, the expectation or the actual return on their investment because the, the insurance principles themselves created the expectation. Would that be fair to say? I think it is fair to say that there, there, it is impossible to completely reinsure your book of business. The, no, the way I get the reinsurance that. market is too complicated, so you're always making a trade-off between how much reinsurance you buy, which gives you more protection for your book of business, and um, how much profit you can make. And you're right that there is um, a balance that they have to find there, um, and that's why it's important to have some minimum standard, but... Uh, you, you're right that it, you're, you're never going to have completely perfect reinsurance because it's not it's not a specific number like it is. You have to reinsure for how many storms are going to hit that pay out in reinsurance for the number of storms that are going to hit and then for the specific perils that are insured. Um, so there's a lot of different variables that go into it, and it's not just a, a, a single number policy. So, Ben, one of the things that I've advocated for, and I'm curious what your reaction would be to this, as we try to move policies from citizens to um, the market, and we know that we have thinly capitalized smaller companies that are coming in, why would we let them have so much geographic concentration, um, both you know, south of the I-10, I-12 corridor? We know that that's where the highest risk is. So why would we not be handing off policies to ensure that they don't have that type of concentration? Because we know we've had it happen enough here that, and history tends to repeat itself, that when you give these thinly capitalized companies that much geographic concentration, they go belly up. They, 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 there's no way that they can support the amount of liability that they have out there. We know this going in, but we still do it over and over and over again. And I, I just, I don't understand that approach. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, generally speaking, I agree with you that you want to spread your risk geographically and across a number of different variables as far as having a diverse portfolio that you're not going to have every single policy have a claim all at the same time. Um, so obviously there's, again, a balance there where you want to make sure that the regulator is keeping an eye on that and ensuring that they have sufficient capital and reinsurance for what we call the probable maximum loss, which mm -hmm. is largely affected by that geographic concentration. 
while at the same time allowing the free market to operate and companies to be able to do what they need to do to manage a risk based on their own individual risk appetite. But we know that historically these types of companies come in with a very high risk appetite, right? Because the higher the risk, the greater the return. The more premium you can charge, the more dollars that come into the model. And it it would seem to me that if we're going to regulate at all, that's what we ought to be focusing on, is how much risk are we willing to let them assume knowing that we basically act as the guarantor of these policies and that it's going to hit the taxpayers of the state of Louisiana, right? Sure, and I agree with that, and I think that's why, again, and I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but it all comes back to you've got to ensure that they have enough capital surplus and reinsurance because at the end of the day, that that's all that they can control as far as um, guaranteeing against their policies in force. So you're right that you need to diversify. Well, they, they, can, they, can control, re- they can control return on investment. And, you know, the thing is, is that when you're, when, you know, when you have an expectation that you're going to have an ROI of whatever that number may be, in the lean years, you can't be paying that in every lean year because you need to be socking dollars away in, in reserve to be able to, to cover these possible losses when the storm does hit. Right. And that's what I mean by capital surplus. You need to make sure you've sure. got enough cash on hand to cover the uh, amount of claims that you could potentially have to pay. And so I, I agree with you that they need to be making sure that they are keeping enough, that they're not returning so much to an investor that they don't have the money to pay claims. But again, the, the levers that you need to be looking at is for solvency is the surplus and the reinsurance. The, the structure has very little to do with that at the end of the day, because regardless of how you're administering the claims, you still need to have the cash on hand to pay them. No, no doubt. But, it, I mean, but, you know, when, when you're managing the claims and, and you're, you're setting IBNR and, all the act, and following all the other actuarial uh, tables that are there, every time you're taking money out and passing it to investors, you're taking dollars out and, they, and you have to go find this somewhere. Some, some of these companies are actually borrowing capital, which is, that's a, in my view, that's a disaster. When we allow them to borrow capital, um, you know, uh, to pay these claims, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and how it's addressed in in this legislative session. And I'd love to have you back, Ben, when we get a clearer picture of what path we're going to take. Absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about it Um, again. I I, I think that we, we absolutely need to make these changes. I just think we need to make sure that we're focusing on the right things. Um, because if if we're if we're not watching the the solvency on that side and then managing what the claims actually look like and how they develop to show the cost side for the insurer, then at the end of the day we're not going to be able to change the market. No doubt, for sure. Ben Albright, CEO, Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers, Louisiana Independent Agents Service Corporation. Thank you so much for joining us. Truly appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. All righty, we'll be right back, folks. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. Stay with us. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 